Steven, do you even know where the Bengals play? Cincinnati. Okay. <laughs> I, the, the joke, Gene, is I found this hat on the ground and <laughs> took it home and washed it, and now it's my hat. So. <laughs> hey, listen, reduce, reuse, recycle. Exactly. And the worst part is I lost, I had a Charizard hat I bought at Microplay in grade six. And it was also, there was a big Charizard here and it was orange at the top. And I was just walking around and lost it one day. And then like a week later, I found this, ex- I, I saw the top of the hat and I was like, oh my God, it's my hat. And I picked it up and I was like, Bengals, whatever, my hat now. And like, I'll be out somewhere and like some guy across the street will show me, he's like, yo, go Bengals. And I look at him for like 10 <laughs> seconds. And I'm like, why is that guy shouting at me? And he's like, Cincinnati. You're like, oh, right. <laughs> go Bengals. <laughs> it's dangerous. Cause one day someone's going to confront me like, yo, you catch the game today? And be like, no, <laughs> like, take the hat off. <laughs> but that's okay. <sighs> that's not why we're here though. Today. We are interviewing Gene Leggett, speaker, coach, and CEO, co-founder of One More Story Games, who are currently adapting New York Times bestseller Charlene Harris's Lily Bard novel with their own engine, Story Stylist. Do I have that right? You have all of that right, sir. Ooh, she's a host of Games, Grit, and Gratitude, colon, Real Talk, as well as a keynote speaker, business and career coach, and educator. One question, Gene, off the top. Do you sleep? Uh, you know what? Ever since I hit 43 and early menopause, I can tell you the answer is no. I do <laughs> no not sleep for me. No sleep. Um, um, you know, it's always, it's so weird when, when I get on a show or I'm introduced at a conference and they start going through the list and I go, oh, maybe this is why people think I'm busy. Yeah, maybe <laughs> you should be a little less ambitious. But I, I can't help myself. There's just so much that I want to do, and, and I just do it. I love the that. More, Most the more importantly adds, of all, though. The Go more ahead, words Steve. you add to – sorry. The more words you add to a title, like, the better and cooler it just sounds. So if you well, just keep adding things and skills. <laughs> you left off stand-up comedian, so there. Ooh, okay. I'll add that in. That's fun. <laughs> You've been doing that. I, I think I, I read on your site it's like 2005 or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. And I never – and I do not allow people to see my early comedy. Like, you have to be mm. in my tight ride-or-die inside circle before I'll show them where my stand-up comedy is online. Because, so there are recordings. Uh, oh, there are. There are. Not Ooh. under my name. So people people won't be able to find Ooh. them. Okay. But, um, and I don't allow people to record me doing stand-up comedy anymore mm. because it's such a departure from Game Dev Gene. I wanted to say also... One of our longest-running patrons of CanadianGameDoes.com, I checked. Gene started supporting us on October 5th, 2016. Oh, damn. Uh, three wow. and a half years before I joined the site. And <laughs> how long after you started the site, Steve? Uh, sorry, what year did you say? October 2016. 2016? That was only like... That was, I think I started the site in 20... No, wait, this was our fifth, five, fifth year, right? Yeah. I think March... March 2015 is when I when I bought the domain. Yeah. I don't know when I launched the Patreon, but I That's was year pretty one, sure. Right? Yeah, like I was pretty sure I was one of your early patrons, and and I was like, oh well, what if I'm a patron? Does that mean he can't interview me anymore? Will people think there's a conflict of interest? And I thought, well, you got to put your money where your mouth is, right? Like we keep talking about how it is to support important. Uh, websites and creators and and I know this isn't a full-time job for you this is but it is a a job for you it's a side hustle 
And, mm. and I really appreciate all of the work that you guys do to spotlight and highlight the important projects that are happening in the indie Canadian space. So, well, then I guess the, the triple A's as well, but like, no, I've, I've can, made sure we tank a lot of that coverage. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> So I just, I really appreciate and value the work that you do. And, um, and I hope more people will take this as an opportunity to go and support the Patreon. Yes, me too. Uh, so I would, I want to approach this interview more as someone who isn't a long time gene, uh, affiliate like Steve and someone like me who might have never heard of you before joining this site. And uh, I like to start with some, some cliche cheesy questions up top. Maybe we'll I get love in the cliche rhythm. cheesy. That that's my jam. What is your earliest memory playing or just with a video game? Gosh, well, I definitely know that we were one of the first kids to get a Super NES. And mm. uh, I don't know how my grandfather got his hands on I feel like he knew people that things fell off the back of trucks. And because uh, we also got like Cabbage Patch Kids the, the winter they came out. So mm. if you all remember Cabbage Patch Kids, it's like that's a really hard get. But yeah, we had a, a, an NES when it first came out, and my sister and I, of course, played the requisite Mario and Duck Hunt. But for me, the place that I went to my zen was Tetris. Like, you could start me on the top level, fastest speed, and I would just sit there for like four hours mesmerized, just like playing the same level, like the same game. I wouldn't die. And, and I think... If that gene existed now, I probably would be a competitive esports Tetris player. <laughs> but I love it, that. It never occurred to me as a kid that I might be able to like make a game or compete or anything like that because that just wasn't in my periphery at all. But very. I was actually very, reading like yeah about the first one of the first esports champions in quotes at like Atari in like the late seventies, early eighties was a, a little girl from somewhere in the Northeastern U S who just got really good at breakout and mm -hmm. you had to submit your times and she got sent there and just won. And like, that's a often forgot piece of esports history is like one of the first champs ever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I have fond memories of playing Paperboy. I don't know if people will remember Paperboy, but that was like I do not. It's it's two before your time, Stephen. <laughs> Stefan. Stephen's. Um, I I remember Paperboy and Duck Hunt. Yeah, right. Stephen's like, Steven's like the little yeah. pixel, <laughs> and then you would be riding your bike down the street, and you would have to like throw your paper at the places that had your paper route, and oh, and then you could smash the windows of houses that you didn't have deliveries to, and you would yeah. get points. You got to dodge um, the dogs and cars and that's stuff. That's like right. That yeah, and also it was a harsh game. I recognize this. <laughs> and then um, the only time I, well, my sister and I got along very rarely, but the one time that we did was when we were playing Contra cooperatively. Uh, we Ooh. were really, really good at Contra. Because it's co-op, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. I played the spiritual successor Cuphead, but <laughs> <laughs> not the original. <laughs> Love it. So you had the NES as a kid. You played Contra with your sister. You got really into Tetris. What yeah. was the moment in your life you decided, hey, I want to make games? You know, that actually didn't come until uh, 2013, 14, honestly, because so if you listen to my podcast, you'll hear um, basically I've been giving keynote talks about my experience in the games industry for the last seven plus years with my husband, Blair who's the other part of One More Story Games. And, you know, I had no 
like I'll play games. I play games with him. I really love board games more than I love video games. You can all hate on me for that. What, whatever. No and hate. <laughs> no hate. And um, after a near-death experience on his part, uh, when we were living in Texas, he was working for Zynga. We decided to come back to Canada and start up our own studio in Barrie, of all places. And and he was doing his thing. And I thought, well, I'm going to do my stand-up comedy. I'm going to do my life coaching, my laughter yoga classes. And it just made really clear that we would make it an amazing team as a hacker and a hustler. So two guesses as to which one I am. But uh, mm, there you go. You just you didn't even need that. You you just knew. So that's how I got into games. Is like literally starting up a studio is how I got into this. The studio is called One More Story Games, and there are a lot more than one more. How many games have you guys released at this point? Oh, we've released. Um, gosh, how many are on our website right now? Because we've we've removed stuff. We've um, we've. Uh, We've parted ways with some of our creators. Mm. Um, yep. You know, stuff ages out and whatnot. So currently on our website, we have uh, a one-hour de- demo of an adaptation that we're working on with Charlene Harris mm-hmm. that has taken forever, sadly. Um, hopefully that will come out next year. Please, God, please, God, please, God. And uh, we have a couple of Canada Game Dev award-winning games on there. So Danielle's Inferno which is still up there and hard vacuum lullaby. We also have a game Blair and I did summer camps back in 2015 and 16, where we taught eight year old kids how to use our game engine. And during our summer camp experience, a little 11 year old girl made a game called attack at the killer zombie cats, USA edition, where you play (laughs) as Barack or Michelle Obama to defeat Trumpy cat and throw him into a deep, dark cat void. So we actually published that to our website because, you know, I've been thinking in the last couple of weeks, maybe we should republish it and just do a massive push for the next six weeks. Um, Because it's so deeply satisfying when you get to push him into the cat void. Um, And then we have tons of games that we have gone and unpublished. You know, the the more games that you publish, some of your earlier work becomes somewhat embarrassing or just, Mm. let's just say tone deaf. So mm. we have some you get, pieces. You get smarter. You get yeah more yeah. knowledgeable. Yeah. And, and you know, as we, just even in the last seven years, the stuff that we created in the first couple of years of our studio, I wasn't responsible for writing or overseeing the direction of the content. But let's just say it did not age very well at all, given hmm. everything that's going on in the world. And so as sad it is, is as it is to see their creative work not be out there anymore... I also want to be that person that continues to learn and grow and make sure that we're always putting our best foot forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. I think I've, I've edited and copy edited and produced probably like 12 games at this point. And some of them have never seen the light of day, which is not uncommon in games. No. <laughs> yeah. And some games that shouldn't have seen the light of day do. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Um, so what is Story Stylus? Um, well, so Story Stylus is something that Blair had con- concepted. 
um, he really wanted to to be able to create something that would be easy for writers who did not know how to code to be able to make point and click narrative games. So he built something using Silverlight, which is a technology no longer supported by Microsoft. Thank you very much, Microsoft. I hate you. Um, so we built the back end of the game engine in Silverlight. And the, the front end of it, which actually publishes our games, publishes using Flash, which is no longer going to be supported in the next six weeks. Thanks a lot, everybody. I hate you, too. And so we're spending, <laughs> I, you know what? It's kind of like we picked VHS or we picked Betamax over VHS and everybody's on DVD now. And <laughs> and that's just, listen, our technology changes a lot in seven years. And and the, the challenge of being an underfunded studio, even raising the kind of money that we have, is the technology changed and we didn't have the resources to change with it. So that's mm-hmm. what Blair's working on right now. I didn't even answer your question. Um, we've broken down the elements of game storytelling into little bricks, you know, people, places, conversations, events, items, and the interlocking pieces. And people can create an interactive point and click game using Lua script. And like I said, it's so easy. We've taught eight year olds how to do it in private classes. So it's more visuals, visual scripting rather than code. It's, you know, it's, it's code. It's code. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, why make an engine? What was the need you identified? (laughs) I, I just talked to a few people who have attempted engines and it sounds like a monumental task and pretty miserable. Uh, Wow, you just like summed up our experience in a nutshell. (laughs) You know, um, I'm actually glad that we did it because I think... I think that with everything that's happening in the world, we do need more simplified technologies out there. If we want to change the games industry, which I firmly do, I look at the the cultural pillars that is storytelling. So you've got writing, which began in cave walls and fire, fire conversations. We moved into film and music and television. And now we have interactive digital media and IDM is like, it's massive. And I really think that's the future of humanity and storytelling. And for us, it comes down to being um, happy, dirty socialists in that if we can break the barriers to entry in games and we can simplify how to make games, then what we're allowing for is people who wouldn't have access to the skills that are required for Unity or Unreal to be able to make their games and to make visual looking games look really great. To, uh, to seize the means of production, if you would. Hell yeah. <laughs> seize the means of production. That's what I'm here for. That's awesome. Oh man. How cool would it be if in like 10 or 15 years, like the next Grim Fandango or Monkey Island or whatever was made in story stylus. That'd be pretty hype. I, I have really big hopes and dreams for it. I mean, when we set out to do it, we did not anticipate uh, working with children at all. Blair and I don't have kids. It's no pets, no plants, no children. If it can't feed itself, it can't live in our house. Mm. And um, and I have a plant that I got in the first week of the pandemic. It is still alive. I don't know how that happened. But, <laughs> you know, in the time that we worked with the children, it has been invigorating because 
you forget that children come with unbridled curiosity and zero filter. And so you get to work with them, you get to see their imagination. And Blair and I are the type of people that are very enabling of people's curiosity. And just mm. to like watch their minds go is incredible and fun and delightful. And honestly, if I gave everything up and that's all I ever did for the rest of my life in measured bursts, because I don't want to be a full-time teacher of children, mm -hmm. that would be deeply satisfying for me because we still have kids from three, four years ago who reach out to us to say, I'm a coder because of you, right? Like a 13 year old girl, my God is 18 now. Oh, how did that happen? <laughs> ah. um, and, and is studying programming in school and her, her trajectory of her life is completely different because she got a scholarship to come to our camp. That's so That's awesome. So freaking cool. I love it. Part of that, I think, is, as you mentioned earlier, you want to change the gaming scene. And I'm wondering, what do you see as the biggest difference, even in the Canadian gaming scene you're a part of, since you joined in 2014 to 2020? You know, it's super interesting because um, Stephen knows that I do quite a bit of travel around the world. I've been invited to come and speak in Germany and Poland, Australia, and New Zealand, and, and in the States as well. And so I've got a, 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 a growing sense of the scene of indie game dev around the world. And I don't know, I still feel like the Canadian scene is disjointed in a way. I think we, I feel mm. like we have like bubbles. So I, I, I don't know anything that's happening in Vancouver, really. I don't really know what's happening in Toronto because I've never once felt like I was part of the cool Toronto kids club. And mm. maybe somebody from Toronto is like, well, I don't know what she's talking about. I've never once been invited to speak in Toronto. Literally, people will fly me around the planet to have mm -hmm. me come and speak. I've not been invited to speak in Toronto. And yeah, you can hear the little bit of sadness in my voice, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, what I see when I look at like the Australian games community is I see what a tight-knit community they are. When an Australian or a New Zealand game comes out, it's all hands on board. People are pushing and pimping that game out because when one team wins, we all win. And, and that's why I'm a patron of what you do is because you're constantly doing the work of pushing us together and promoting us up. And I really appreciate that. I wish we did that more in Canada. Like hmm. I look across the pond, I look at the UK games industry and I see them having these awards and these nominations. And I think, is their industry that much bigger than ours that mm -hmm. they, they have dedicated resources to have these galas and, and BAFTAs. And um, I don't know. I, I think there's a little bit of a Canadian inferiority complex, especially being next to the Americans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would second that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't I mean, know. I've thought about... Oh, go ahead, Steve. I was just going to say, like, I've thought of that a couple times, and I always... Like, there's probably other reasons for it, but I always thought of, like, the the size of Canada to be a problem with that. Geographically. Like, mm, like, geographically, yeah. Like, and, like... Vancouver to Halifax is, like, two Europe's. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, six time zones away or whatever. And yeah, so even something like... Point. Yeah, even like something like a digital game jam would just be hard to coordinate because it's it's like seven hours difference, mm -hmm. and so but but even outside of the game dev industry, there's still that like bitter rivalness of like people in Vancouver hate Toronto and people in yeah. Toronto hate Vancouver type of thing. And Quebec hates everyone. 
and yeah, Quebec doesn't even want to be part of the country. Stephen hates Quebec. Atlantic Canada Quebec. is just kind of just their <laughs> political <laughs> landscape. Atlantic Canada is just kind of chilling out there. They, you like, know, we survived. Um, We're our own bubble. We got through this relatively unscathed. I don't know. I don't know if you guys remember this, but last year when Blair and I had a, a life hiccup, we'll call it that. Our, our idiot landlord um, was busted for having two illegal units in his house and he could only have one. So he kicked us out. I was like, hmm. gee, thanks. So I took that as an opportunity and a sign from the universe. We should finally leave Barry. And we threw everything mm. into a storage unit and threw the rest in our car. And we were homeless for two months and we couch surfed and we did hashtag i think it was hashtag epic nomad omsg adventure or some crazy thing like that <laughs> and find the hashtag. oh my gosh and and so we did a tour of eastern united states and then into eastern canada and we did speaking engagements the whole way through we didn't talk about being homeless because i didn't want anybody to know our business and yeah we were we were checking out the game dev scene in all eastern canada um, we stopped and had engagements in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. We got to visit a little bit of everything. And the plan was, in my mind, because I sometimes over, <laughs> I overestimate my energy. But I was like, mm. you know, no one's done a cross-Canada documentary of the Canadian game dev scene. And if we're going to drive across Canada, we might as well, I don't know, maybe we'll film the whole dang thing on our phones. And I'll be the one that does the cross Canada game dev documentary. <laughs> and it didn't work out because I was exhausted. My dad was also dying and we were homeless. And it's just like, you know, it's a lot, Gene. But mm. I would really love to see our our country's game dev scene become a little bit more cohesive and an intentional and bringing us all together. And I've seen some recent conferences of organizations trying to bring us together and that's really great. Um, but it's gonna take us a few years before we, where we feel like, yeah, Canadian game devs, like the way that the Australian game devs uh, community does, right? We're yeah. just, we're not quite there yet. I think like another thing too is like, grants and stuff like that are kind of done at the provincial level not really federal so we've talked to like saskatchewan devs who are just like there's no devs here <laughs> our province hates us cause, yeah because our <laughs> province is more concerned with farmers and stuff than than development and stuff so they peace out to like alberta yeah which i think was also like looking into like reducing stuff and there was rumors when thank Ford you mr Kenny. Over, <laughs> when Ford took over that like uh, Ontario stuff would be uh, Ontario Create stuff would be affected. I don't know if that ended up being true. Well, they rebranded. It was the Ontario Medica Development Corporation. Yeah, the OMDC. When Ford got started, and now it's Ontario, Ontario Creates. But all the checks still say OMDC. So that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's like part of it too. And I don't know how the hell you get Trudeau on the phone to be like, "Hey, stop making this at the provincial level. Start making this at the federal level." But yeah, Stephen, you could do that. <laughs> Uh, well, I'll talk I mean, to. Him. I have some choice words for Mr. Chu. I'm, but I'm one pretty of them close. I'm. I, I think I'm actually more well known in the Australian game dev game dev community than I am in Canada, which I always find really strange. But even their funding is very much on a state by state basis. Mm. And, it, yeah. yeah, and they've the Melbourne is in the state of Victoria, and they have a phenomenal lobbying body there. 
that is like basically hounding government and like showing time and time again the success that they've had with their indie game development. They've got universities there that are teaching game development. And some of the other states are just really far behind. And and it's it's kind of ridiculous because when you think about it, the skills of a technology company and a digital media company like IDM, there's more money coming out of video games than there are film and music combined. Especially now. Right? This is <laughs> it's insane. And mm. and so where why is that not why are we still giving so much money to film and music and not to game development? And maybe it's because our our industry is still in its infancy. Like everything that we've learned as a game dev studio, I still don't have all of the answers. Uh, we learned on the fly. God, I wish I knew what I knew now seven years yeah. ago. I, yeah, I, I mean, still make I mean, mistakes, that's th- but <laughs> that's the thing, right? Like they've been making movies and and whatnot for like a hundred years, and, yeah. and we've been making video games for like forty, like, like th- well, 40, and 30, I wouldn't whatever. even. And even then, like let's say the early '90s and yeah. and stuff is really when it started to pick up with like PlayStation and stuff kicking in, um, mm-hmm. which is, but it's still. Even even then, in those early days with Nintendo and Sony and stuff, those were Japanese companies. So maybe even just like the North American video game scene didn't really start to like really get huge until the late nineties yeah. and and early two thousands and stuff. So and you and, also get this whole thing where so many people out there they're like, oh, I want to make games and I want to be famous, and I always do the Mickey Mouse voice when I do that because it's so. <laughs> it's like the thing that I try to remind people is great you want to make games or do you want to make a business of making games because those are two different things one is you are making a game you are doing the coding the art the audio the programming um the community management like all of the pieces of the game making but then there's also project management and human resources and investor relations marketing sales and all of those other things, and people are like, what? I just wanted to make games. I'm like, then what you really want to do is have a great hobby that mm. might make you some money. And and so what I'm seeing now is more incubators are coming, are being created, not fast enough in my opinion, but at least there are people out there that are giving advice on how to run the business of making games which is what we sorely need, not just in Canada, but industry-wide. You kind of answered this a couple minutes ago, but I am curious what you want to see. If you get one top of Gene Leggett's (laughs) must-have from the Canadian game scene in the next future, what's the number one (laughs) item on that list? For the Canadian game dev scene? Wow. Mm. Wow. Um... I think it would be fantastic if we had um, centralized resources and assets, sort of like a a game dev biz school, because Mm. that is one of the the biggest things that is missing. And I would want to make sure that we are very focused on bringing marginalized voices into that, because we just we have a lot of people who have backgrounds that wouldn't even consider making a game because they, they feel like it's... You know, oftentimes making game is for privileged people. And I talk mm-hmm. a lot about privilege in my podcast, so I won't dive into it here. Um, so so that's a really big thing. 
I would love to see a, a properly vetted list of reputable consultants because I have hired some consultants from the Canadian game development scene um, that have been less than scrupulous and have gone on to injure mm. other companies, which I won't get into on this podcast, but better believe it's coming up in mine. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so when we look at our industry and as it starts to mature and we have more and more of these consultants coming out, it's it's troubling to me that we don't have a way to vet and or censure people who are doing um, shoddy work, right? Mm. So I'm I am yeah I'd like to see a, a really nice business repository of ethical people in our industry. We're uh, I would like to see that too. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because we're we're sort of working on something like that. Um, oh, we should talk after this. We should talk after this. I'll, we can at least I'll we'll we'll tell you what we're like thinking because other people have reached out to us because it's something that's been discussed because we have the freelancers section right. So if you're like an artist and you want and you have an idea and you want a programmer or whatever like that, then you can go to that page or we do that in the our game in our um, Discord, Discord as well. If people, what, what's that channel called? It's just like looking to collab. Looking to out. collab. Yeah. <laughs> um. But now the next step is sort of like you got the people to make the games, but then like you said, it's all about the like the sales, the HR, the project management, the the planning of it, the f- gain funding, all that crap um, that you don't really think about when you're running like a business uh, and making games. So we're out. So hooray! We're already kind of <laughs> yeah. We've we've had uh, some accountants reach out, a, a, a lawyer looking to get into games specifically. And yes, we're looking at some sort of resource that way, which might, might, I don't know if we would have a, a, we should probably develop some sort of ethical criteria, as you're mentioning, Mm -hmm, other mm -hmm. than they emailed us (laughs) and we put them on the website. Yeah, maybe some testimonials, maybe talking and interviewing some of their clients. Uh, I would gladly put my name on the resource list. I mean, I don't know if you folks have paid attention. (laughs) I've become quite the resume whisperer this year. And I've done over 150 game developer resumes, which is insane. That's a lot. Which, you, uh, which yeah. by the way, you tweet out every now and then saying, I'm you... sorry. No, no, I, no. I mean, like, follow you on Twitter because you've offered to do it a few times, if I recall, like for free or just. To yeah, I try and do pro bono once a month. <laughs> I was a little bit burned out last month, but yeah, I mean, yeah. just in pro bono alone in the last four months, I usually take on anywhere from five to 10 pro bono clients because. You know, when I when I'm not burned out, I want to make sure that I'm giving back and and helping marginalized voices from countries that aren't Western countries. Mm. And because a single mom in Mexico City is not going to have the same resources as somebody who lives in Pittsburgh. And the white guy in Canada. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I, I actually had a white guy in Melbourne say, hey, can I get your pro bono work? And I'm like, nope. (laughs) Sorry. Nope. 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 (laughs) And um but yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of people out there um, who do great work. I want to give a shout out to one of my favorite professional services in Canada, and that is Evolve PR. And Ooh, we've talked to them. Oh, yeah. They, yeah, we've they are to phenomenal. Them. So they, they run a tight ship over there. I'm friends with a number of the people who work there. They're really with it people. And, um, and so it's, it's quite the pleasure for me to see how well that they're doing as a services firm. Um, yeah, 
yeah, I just, I really, I really like their approach to, to be very professional and mm. having the biggest challenges that I've ever had in running the studio, because when you're an employee, somebody else is the boss and you're not having to worry about how things are, if objectives are being met by deliverables and, and contractors and things like that. But when you're running a studio, that's a lesson that you need to learn right off the bat. And when you mm. work with shady consultants who take your money and don't deliver, or worse yet, in our case, extort us, um, mm. you know, it kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth and you really want to make sure that other people don't fall for the same scam. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one of my big things is making sure that <laughs> indies have the resources that they need and that they can they can learn from the positive and negative experiences of people who've come before them well as uh as steven mentioned you you're one of our longest patrons so we'll get on that right away <laughs> <laughs> we'll start working on it right away for you oh love it love it i'm still waiting Steve, for my hoodie yeah. but you know no hurry no hurry Steve, no where's oh, the hoodie i did i i sorry i thought i dm'd you i i had the inventory roll and i couldn't find the, the size that you requested. It's okay. Give it give it to a I'm kid. Sorry. Give it to a kid well, because like it's going to mean so much more to some kid in middle school. <clears throat> give it to a girl or yeah, a girl in middle school or high school. You should tweet that out. So I we, will totally so we did, over that. We did the the step before it, which is just donated it to a, a clothing shelter. Like awesome. I have like I we kept a few and then like I was cleaning out yesterday, uh, cleaning out like our closet and you yesterday. Found some just, more. Yeah, I was just like, I'm, I I can't have this shit in my house anymore because it's just, it's like too much. And uh, and so then I just threw it in the car and, and I just dumped it off at like a local clothing shelter because I'm like, these are like good things. And I already like, from a, not that this should matter when you're donating, but like from a business standpoint, I already like made my money and profit off it. So yeah, everything yeah. else was like, that's why I was just giving it away to patrons because I was like, I don't want this stuff. And then yeah. eventually I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to give this to people. But I should have like, we should have done like a, a girl's, code camp or I totally just, think <laughs> that the next time you have extra merch and this is for anybody that's listening is why not use it as an opportunity to say hey do some fan art of our logo or mm. um, do a, a 15 second clip telling us about one of your favorite games and, and that way we get kids excited too because I think it's wonderful that you donated that to a homeless shelter and they definitely need it um but Especially was, the sweaters around this time of year too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's really fantastic. It's I just you know, everything that's happening in the world, especially in the games industry, like yesterday was the Ubisoft um <clears throat> incident, I think we'll call it. Mm. The oh, Ubisoft the Montreal game. thing? Yeah, and, and like how insane is that? And we still don't quite know what all that was. Was it doxing? It, it was not a hostage situation, but there was like an imminent threat or the the pretense of an imminent threat. Yeah. And like I just don't understand this industry. I love the people in the industry for the most part. I'm gobsmacked by the entitlement of our customers. <laughs> gamers are the worst. Oh, gamers are <laughs> terrible. That's why... That, so you asked me why we built our game engine? I built our game engine to make games for readers, right? Mm. Like, get me away from gamers. <laughs> I don't I don't want to be near gamers. Um, anybody who's like, I'm a gamer, it's probably not the people that want to play a book meets game experience in the first place. 
So yeah. I want you're, you're not you're not tapping into that Call of Duty crowd. I'm sorry. No, no, I the Call of Duty crowd. I I hope that they find nice fluffy things to hug and snuggle, because um, <laughs> I need to take the intensity down a notch, and. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm looking to attract a different crowd. I think that's the other thing that I really love about IDM is, you know, when we call it video games, people have a very fixed idea of what that sounds like, what that means, who the target audience is. They go immediately to that 17-year-old pimple-faced boy in the basement, which mm-hmm. has questionable odors coming from it, and mm-hmm. lots of leftover pizza cardboard boxes. It's like, that's not gamers, Gamers are, mm-hmm. the average age of a gamer is 35. The average age of a female gamer is 43. Yeah. This is what we're and talking the majority about. Of, the majority of gamers are women now. Hell yeah. Quote unquote, like people who but, play games. But, you know, gamers, the, mm-hmm. the dude bros, they want to constantly gatekeep us. And they're like, well, it doesn't count if you play on your mobile. It's like, dude, do you know why I play on my mobile? I play on my mobile because for 40 hours a week, I'm making games or doing something games adjacent. What are you doing 40 mm. hours a week? You're playing your games. Um, <laughs> I play on mobile because you're on consoles. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't know. I'm I'm looking forward to the, the range of how we use IDM to expand our experience and understanding of the world. Um, if you look at the earlier this year was asked to judge um, for the Canadian Screen Award, so it was on the jury. Probably shouldn't say this, but I'm proud of it. It was on the jury for Best Narrative. Um, and there were some really formidable games that were finalists for this. And it's incredible, you know, the Compulsion Studios had two out of the three finalists in that category, the We Happy Few DLC. Really fantastic. And I also really loved the the game called East of the Rockies, which was about Japanese internment camps in Canada, which mm. I, didn't, I didn't even know that that existed. I thought that was just What's an the, American sorry, thing. What was the game called? Oh, yeah, it was in Vancouver, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was, it was East of the Rockies, Steve. Yeah. Weren't you listening? Yeah. Oh. It, was, um, it was on the other was the side game? of the Rockies. Uh, what was the game called, sorry? It was called um, East of the Rockies. East of East of the Rockies. <laughs> And, um, yeah, it was about Japanese internment camps, and it was just so powerful. And I just think about all of the history that we could experience in interactive media that might engage people who are reluctant readers or using interactive media for teaching and training. And imagine being able to maybe five or ten years in the future in biology class, instead of dissecting real little piggies, um, fetal pigs to understand biology, we get to do that in VR, mm. right? Like what kinds of things are going to be available to us as a result of us expanding our industry, which is why we need to get more money in there um, so that, yeah, some a lot of studios are going to fail. We already know that, right? 50% of restaurants fail. We still keep mm. giving them bank loans. Um, I don't see people giving loans to game studios, but... Nope. Nope. We gave Air Canada and Bombardier like two or three billion dollars. Yeah. So they can just throw it yeah. in a jet engine and, and watch you know, it fly these, at the other side. A lot of these companies, they fail, but it's in the failure and in the learning that advances our technologies. Mm-hmm. You know, great things have happened in technology because of failure. And um, I even if you look at the VR industry right now, it's it's slow on the uptick because the 
the accessibility for consumers is not quite there, but mm -hmm. the people that are in that space are learning what they need to learn for that second, third wave. Because I think we're actually in the third wave of VR, or this is the second wave of VR. And um, so there's a lot to learn. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't expect everything to be instantaneous, right? Mm -hmm. Just because you know how to make a game in Unity doesn't mean it's going to be a hit. But what no. can you learn from those first two, three games that you can apply to your third game? My professor always told me you had 100 bad games to get out of you before you made someone that one that might be interesting to someone. Get cracking. Yeah. Uh, uh, you touched on it a little bit before, but I'm, I'm always curious, and this is something I've asked in every interview we've done here on the site. What's one thing you wish you knew at the start of your time making games that you know now? If you could travel back to Gene sitting down at the computer for the first time and say one thing, what would it be? Oh, God. <laughs> such, there's so many things I'd want to tell her. Um, watch out for your landlord and Barry. <laughs> well, well, no, there's other people I'd watch out for, but um, if I could say two things. Okay. One is trust your instincts. <clears throat> the second thing would be don't ever take more than you can chew. Mm. Right? If we if we had instead of going after this big lumbering project, which I love. I love this project. But I mean it's we've been in production on this game for three years, although stalled mm -hmm. for the last year and a half. You know, we could have pushed out two games a year by now. Mm. And with each successive game, you learn more and more. And so we could have learned so many lessons by now. And um, I think the last thing, so that's three. The third one would be if money is your objective, like if building a sustainable studio is your objective, you need to think about money in the beginning. How are you going to monetize? And and we were so focused on making art, we weren't thinking, we weren't focused on making money. And there's nothing wrong with focusing on art, but if you want to have a sustainable studio, you really have to have a plan to make it a business. And we didn't start with that in mind. Hmm. Excellent. <laughs> that was all my questions, Steve. You got any? You got any further questions, Steve? Uh. No, I mean, it's just, Gene, it's just awesome to, like, hear you and, and see you and stuff like that. Well, it's not in person, but uh, no, I think we've pretty much covered it. But I think, uh, I was just thinking about this. I think you're the first aud it's audio interviewee, like, twice, that we've done twice or whatever. Because oh. we, we did, uh, we've interviewed Megan, I forget her last name. Burn. Um, Burn, yeah, we interviewed, I interviewed Megan Burn when I was, when we were Toronto Game Devs, but just as, like, a written one or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then and then Steven did a audio one, but I think you're the first like audio double double feature, I guess, or whatever. Returning champion. Returning champion. Well, you know, it's um I, I appreciate you're having me back on the show and I wish I had a game to 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 hustle, but I mean the sad thing is, in six weeks' time, so when the strike clocks, when the clock strikes midnight on December 31st, um, and as soon as Flash is disabled across the world, I'm going to cry, our site mm -hmm. is not going to be playable for a couple of months until we get the Unity front end all set up. So if you want to go and play some really cool games, we actually made Danielle's Inferno a Canada Game Dev number one PC game of the year in 2017. 
There it's, you go. It's been free, and it's a two and a half to five hour, depending on how you play, romp through the bowels of hell, and it is mm. funny as bleep. I like funny. There's one so, on there that I that I haven't played yet. Um, I was just was which one? What's the what's the URL so everyone has it? And I'll put it in the show uh, notes too. Well, the easiest one to remember is bookmeetsgame.com. Bookmeetsgame.com. Or onemorestorygames.com. <laughs> onemorestorygames.com. And where can people find you, Gene, on the internet if they wish to do so? Oh and my I wish gosh. they should do so if as well. You, if you want to find me, you can head on over to Twitter. I am on Twitter way too much. Um, my handle is at Gene Leggett. And I would highly recommend if you're going to follow me that you turn off the retweet button because I am on that. I like to promote and amplify a lot of people's projects. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking for an insightful, Brene Brown meets game dev. This is not me saying this, but other people have said that I've got that Brene Brown of game dev vibe going on. Then okay. the Twitter handle for that is G3 Real Talk. Or if you go to G3RealTalk.com, what I do with every episode is I actually give sort of like a post episode personal inventory worksheet so you can do a little bit of life coaching for yourself after the episode. Ooh. That's a first. I haven't heard that before. I want people to do a little bit of introspective thinking. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Why, thank you. I'm going to give that a download this week, and you should too, dear listener. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're back this week with another episode of the podcast after being gone for Extra Life last weekend. So check out that episode 166. Um, thank you, Gene. Thank you, Steve. And thank you, listener, for being here. Uh, be sure to subscribe if you want more wonderful interviews like this, as well as our weekly show. And, and until go, next time. And go contribute to their Patreon. They're amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Canadian Game Devs. Toodles. Toodles. Bye.